wanted to say thank you to Dylan for his leadership. Um, I've known Dylan since he was in college, so we have a lot of history together, and he's doing a great job leading the worship team, so really proud of him. Married with kids now, getting old, working here 10 years. That's you, Dylan. Happens to the best of us. Good morning. My name is Travis Stevens. I'm not Dave, although I'm wearing a shirt kind of like Dave wears. He likes to button up short sleeve, and I'm tall and bald like Dave. But uh, excited to be here with you. Uh, I am the global outreach director for Good News Church, so I bounce back and forth between the two campuses. And so excited to be with you. And I wanted to show a picture of my family. This is my crew. My wife and I celebrated 20 years of marriage, so catch up with Gordon and Sue one day. But uh, so thankful for 20 years of marriage. We have five kids, and at some point this year, we'll have four teenagers at the same time. So that's, that's hard to do. Um, so excited about that. We love our kids, and our youngest just turned eight. We went to Legoland this week. Anyone been to Legoland? It's amazing. Legoland's great. So I did that with our youngest, Geneva. That was fun, right? Um, so one of our things we talk about at Good News is this idea of making disciples together. So I wanted, you to, I wanted you to think about that in the context of your family unit. What does it look like for we as families to make disciples together? So that's something I, I think about, uh, I think more as caught than taught often. And our kids are watching, and they're watching our Christian community as well. And so uh, it's really a big task we have before us, uh, this idea of making disciples together. So I just wanted you to think about that, really thankful for my family. Um, so I can't get up here without talking about global outreach. So this is something our church has been committed to for a long time, and we've invested a lot of resources in starting churches around the world. So uh, I love the role that I'm in and the idea of uh, being able to partner with making disciples of the nations and fulfilling the Great Commission. And so I wanted to show you this slide. It's real exciting. I want to explain a little bit about how it works. So basically, we have a global outreach team, and we receive proposals from all over the world uh, asking for partnership, and we, we prayerfully consider where God would have us partner in certain places. So we've met over the past couple months, and through your generosity of the 13% that gets set aside, uh, we are able to partner on 10 new projects this year. So praise God for that. So you might be looking and saying, wow, a few of those are Florida. That's interesting. Uh, this year, 2023, we'll invest more in domestic church planting than ever before in the history of Good News Church. Because there's 21 million people who live in our, country, in our state, and people are coming from all over the country and all over the world to our state here in Florida. And so we do that through the Florida Church Planting Network, uh, where there's great accountability and training and support for those churches to launch well. So uh, Florida Church Planting Network, you can look on their website, and there's a map of the churches. So maybe you're traveling throughout Florida, and you're wondering, oh, I wonder if we have a church in Fort Lauderdale or Orlando or... Tampa, and you can look and say, hey, I'm in town that weekend. We're going to go visit one of these church plants. So check that out. Uh, but real excited about the countries uh, that God has us investing in. And last year was a record year. We planted 24 churches around the world, uh, which was amazing. And so we're starting at 10, and then as more, some people are very generous and give above and beyond their tithe, and we're able to plant more and more churches. So super excited about that. And I wanted to also tell you about kind of the types of churches we plant. Um, we have partnerships with what we call movement leaders. The movement leader is typically a local church pastor who oversees the church planting movement in that region. And so the types of churches that we start are connected to a network already. They're not one-offs. So there's a lot of accountability and training built into those already so that they'll be successful. 
And so we also plant churches that are about the gospel. That's the only message we have, the bad news and the good news of Jesus. And uh, so these proclaim the gospel regularly. Uh, Also churches that have a goal of multiplication. So it's not just you as a church, but you have a goal to start another church. And that have a plan for financial self-sustainability, that they're not just going to be dependent on Western resources forever, but that they'll eventually be financially self-sustaining. So those are the types of churches. So we think really strategically about this and really thankful. Just wanted to say publicly for the Global Outreach team who puts in a lot of time and energy and prayers for this. And so this is the list. Super excited. These are real people with real families and real places in the world. Uh, they're p- partners. They're friends. And super excited what you're doing to make Disciples of the Nations through Global Outreach. So thank you so much for your investment. And there'll be more to come from that. So think about this. Dave Ackerman, in the past couple days, past couple weeks, he has been in India. That's one reason I'm here today. That's one reason Clint preached last week. He is in India. India is not close to here. India is very far away, and it was really cool to talk to Sue Ellen this morning and get more of an update. I've been on a prayer list, and I've gotten some pictures from Dave yesterday. Um, And I wanted to show you one of these pictures of Dave. Instead of Where's Waldo, we're going to play Where's Dave. So I don't know. It's kind of a hard picture to see, but there's three white dudes. There's a hint for you. And Dave is tall and bald, so I don't know if you can see it, but he's back there. And uh, Sue Ellen told me a funny story. I guess they, they went to visit one of our church plants there that was actually named after one of our members' mothers. Their family gave a gift to the church to plant that church. And so it's Irene Presbyterian Church, which is pretty cool. And so as Dave got toward this village, the people had never seen a white dude before. And out of respect and honor for Dave and good news and what we've done there, they carried him into the village. And like, it's just hard to even imagine that, right? Dave sitting in a chair and then lifting him and carrying him. So I'm sure Dave will have some great stories for us. Uh, But that was a funny one I heard this morning. So uh, pretty great. Um, So we've had quite an influence uh, in uh, in India specifically through Ken Tombing. I wanted to show you a slide of a picture of Ken. Ken is an amazing leader. He's been a longtime partner for us. Uh, He runs orphanages, uh, elementary schools, middle schools, high schools, colleges, seminaries. Andy oversees the church planting movement there. It's, it's really phenomenal what he's doing. And I did some research and counted all the churches. We've helped start 24 churches through Ken in India. So praise God for that. Dave got to be there to hang out with Ken over the past couple days to see some of these churches and also train pastors. So really thankful for Dave going over there and uh, to think of the training he's doing for all these pastors and the long-term influence that'll have on all these villages and churches and stuff. Uh, Pretty amazing. So I wanted to pause this morning and pray for Dave and lift up him and these churches and Ken. So let's pray for them now. Father, thank you for your heart for the nations. Heaven is going to be a very diverse place, and we're looking forward to that. And to think of our brothers and sisters in the country of India, we lift them up. We thank you for uh, Dave's opportunity to go there and train pastors. I pray that you help them bear much fruit as they do that. Uh, Thank you for his time with Ken. Pray that you'd sustain Ken and his wife and children in his leadership roles and all the things he oversees. Uh, Pray a blessing over those 24 churches that we've partnered with. Pray for favor for those pastors as they proclaim the gospel. Pray that their villages would come to know you 
can be changed. Uh, we pray for boldness as there's significant government um, interference and persecution happening uh, in India specifically. And we pray for boldness for the Christians. Uh, thank you for, uh, for everything that's happening over there and for our partnership and for all you're doing around the globe. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. So the word of God is uh, important. It's our authority, and we're going to read it uh, this morning. We've been in this series going through 1 Timothy, and we're in chapter 2 currently, and we're going to read uh, verses 1 through 8. Uh, we do have the slides uh, if you don't have your Bible with you, but I'd love for you to follow along as we read the word, and then we'll jump in and see what God has to teach us today. <clears throat> 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 8. First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, in order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony born at the proper time. And for this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Let's pray again. Father, illuminate your word in our hearts and minds this morning. Holy Spirit, convict us where needed. Jesus, thank you for being our great mediator. Uh, minister to us through your word, through your people, through your communion that we'll share together later. Uh, we pray for those in authority today. May they come to know you. May they lead with wisdom. May your presence be known to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you might be asking, wasn't this the exact same text that we covered last week? And you would be right, it is. Uh, Clint preached last week and did a great job, and he used prayer as a launching pad for us and gave me lots of room to work, thankfully, for this week. But uh, prayer is, is the thrust of verses 1 through 8. And uh, if you ever miss a Sunday or you're sick and can't come, you can always watch online. Uh, and we have a record of all the messages, so if you missed Clint's last week, you can go to goodnewsloves.com and listen to that. So that's what I did Monday morning. I got up and listened to his message. He did a great job. Um, prayer is a pretty critical component uh, to our lives. It's a privilege for us as Christians. And so I wanted to think about uh, this text and then jump in and get real specific on one, one verse. Um, so I have a really important question for you. Who likes a good sandwich? Okay, sandwich is great, right? The bread is pretty critical, right? So bread is critical, the top and bottom, but the meat inside is really where the magic happens, right? And so this text is really interesting. It's almost like a prayer sandwich, if you will. Verse 1 and verse 8 give us the context and give us the bread, if you will. And so verse 1, first of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. So it's very broad. Pray for everybody. And then in verse 8, therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. So as we think about prayer, very general, it's a gift. But our text today gives us a really interesting 
insight into a specific prayer for a specific group of people with a specific heart attitude. So that's what we're going to jump into. So I want to make sure you get that. A specific prayer for a specific group of people with a specific heart attitude. So we're going to jump in and look at that. So verse 2, that's going to be the focus today. Praying for kings and all those who are in authority. Hmm. Let me ask you a question. Who are your authorities? I'm not sure where your brain goes, but I sort of thought about my life, and maybe there were people who were, had a level of authority over me at one point, but now don't. Like, for example, my parents. I love my parents, but they're, they no longer have a position of authority over me because I'm not in their household anymore. Or maybe a coach. Uh, you know, if the coach says, I grew up playing basketball, if the coach says, hey, get on the line to run, what do you do? You get on the line to run because it could definitely impact your playing time where you could get kicked off the team. So you think of parents, um, coaches, teachers, you students. You have teachers who give you assignments and tell you there's a final exam. And if you choose not to do that, there's clear consequences for that. Uh, You think about police. You think about spiritual leadership. Those who are members here take a membership vow. Question number five. Are you willing to submit yourself to the leadership of the elders? So there's, there's actually, the list got pretty long when I was thinking about, man, I've got a lot of authorities. I've had a lot of authorities. I currently have a lot of authorities. Uh, and then I thought about civil government specifically. Civil government. Some of us might not want to submit to certain uh, government authorities or any of the other authorities I mentioned. But I wanted us to think about what does that look like for us as Christians today as the scriptures clearly teach, that we are called to pray for those in authority over us. So it's a a challenge. This is going to be very difficult for us to think about and figure out what this looks like. Um, And honestly, you know, I I stink at this. Um, I'm more prone to complain about maybe certain things in civil government than I am to pray for. Uh, And I think there's something in our sin nature that rebels against authority. I don't know if you guys experience that, but that's something very normal for me to want to rebel against whoever's telling me what to do because I want to do my own thing. Uh, my ideas are better. These are things that I you know, tell myself, and yet the Bible's telling us, hey, there's some sort of submission that I'm supposed to have in this prayer for even people I might disagree with um, in certain ways. So, So let's think about what's going on culturally at this time. So remember, we're in this 1 Timothy series. Paul is the author of the book, and he's writing to whom? To Timothy, obviously. This is his child in the faith. He's trying to give him wisdom and direction on how to live his life as a follower of Jesus. And so maybe you're thinking, okay, well, maybe during this time period, there was a really great leader, and it was really easy for Timothy to read this and say, oh, this is, of course, I can pray for those in authority. This is easy because... They're for the cause of Christ, and this is, I can do this. Well, that's not the case. I did a little research. Uh, Let me tell you who's in charge in 65 AD in this time period. A guy named Nero. Okay, Nero was was a complicated guy. That's a nice way to put it. Uh, I did some research and looked on pbs.org. Sometimes I like to look at just non-Christian sources just to see what they have to say. And I wanted to read you this quote. Nero started well. 
He ended secret trials and gave the Senate more independence. He banned capital punishment, he reduced taxes, and allowed slaves to sue unjust owners. He provided assistance to cities that had suffered disasters. He gave aid to the Jewish people and established open competitions in poetry, drama, and athletics. So he, he started well. It seems like, hey, he's got some pretty good policies. He's a pretty good guy. However, the quote continues, Nero had a dark side. His impulses began as simple extravagance. Before long, however, stories were circulating that he seduced married women and young boys, that he castrated and married a male slave. He also liked to wander the streets, murdering innocent people at random. He even murdered his own mother. End of quote. There's stories of Nero torturing and murdering Christians. This is the authority that Paul is telling Timothy to pray for. Wow. You see, the type of person in authority is not the point. We are commanded to pray for those in authority, even if we don't agree with their policies, their character, or how they lead. This is a very difficult task ahead of us. So we have a particular civil government. Uh, one benefit I have in having friends around the world is I can just email them a question and say, hey, how is your civil government set up? So I did that with some of our movement leaders because I thought it'd be helpful for us to understand maybe a glimpse into uh, some other countries and what's going on with their civil government so we could, it would maybe shed light on our own and maybe uh, help us be thankful maybe for our own. And so uh, sometimes we tend to believe that our particular situation might be worse uh, than others. And so I wanted us to look at three specific countries. So I emailed uh, my friend Leonardo. He's one of our key leaders in Brazil. Uh, he, he's a local church pastor. He was in Rio de Janeiro for a long time and recently uh, moved to the capital of Brasilia. And we've planted about 30 churches in Brazil through the years. So we've had quite an impact there. Uh, he's been here. He's been on this stage before. Leo's a great guy. And so I said, hey, what's going on with your civil government in Brazil? This is what he had to say. In Brazil, the federal constitution guarantees total freedom of worship and services, which is Article 4 of the federal constitution of Brazil. However, our Supreme Court has received several requests to break with this article of the constitution. Until today, we have had complete freedom to preach the gospel, but we are navigating in troubled waters and we are very worried about the future of Brazil because the next government, which took office last month, has already given clear signs that it intends to put an end to this total freedom of worship and preaching. Please pray for Brazil. So a changing landscape there in the country of Brazil where freedom of worship has been a staple, yet it seems to be shifting away from that. Uh, another place we've in invested recently is in Ireland. We planted two churches there now. Uh, David Martin was here at our conference last year. Uh, by the way, our conference is the last weekend of April, so we're going to have partners from around the world. We'll have them on stage, and we'll have opportunities for you to hear from them, which will be great, so mark your calendars for that. Uh, David's an amazing guy, wife, four kids, uh, super sharp, great communicator, loves the Lord. Uh, this is what he had to say about Ireland. He said, in Ireland, we have freedom of religion written into our constitution, similar to Brazil. This is unlikely to change in the foreseeable future. However, culturally, there is a strong current and perhaps even a determination in some quarters 
to use the idea of freedom of speech to quieten or even silence views that criticize the dominant ideology, which is one of godlessness, especially in regards to morality and ethical issues. The exclusivity of Christ, defending a biblical view of marriage, and protecting the most vulnerable in our society are all touch points where people, politicians, and legislators could easily seek to enforce a crime of, quote, hate speech around these issues. So in Ireland, once again, a changing landscape as it relates to their civil government. So lastly, we talked about India a little bit. So uh, they've, they've come up under a lot of fire lately. Um, this is a little bit longer explanation, but I thought it'd be helpful for us to understand what's going on there to help guide our prayers and to be thankful for even Dave being able to go over there and able to train these pastors for us to even have the opportunity to plant churches because those days might come to an end soon. Um, so here's Ken Tomming saying, here are a few thoughts on our civil government. India is a democratic country, but under Hindu extremist rule, it's gradually becoming a theocratic or Hindu-cratic. 80% of the Indian population is Hindu and Hindu-leaning. Our incumbent prime minister, being a stout member of a Hindu extremist organization, has been doing all he can against Christianity. Hindus are alarmed at the biological as well as the conversion growth of followers of Jesus. So the Hindus, along with the government, have been doing all they can to uproot Christianity from Indian soil. They use political power, money power, people power, persecution power, etc., to stop the growth of Christianity and reconvert Christians to their traditional religious practices. Our government is trying to make India one people, one religion, and one language. Anti-conversion law is enacted in the law of our country just to check the growth of Christianity. Under this law, the police can arrest us, anyone can take us to the court of law, and anyone suspected or found promoting Christianity can be easily imprisoned. It's against the law when Hindus become Christian, but it's okay when Christians are forced into Hinduism. Interesting. Our government tries to send back every missionary they know and denies visas to anyone they suspect may have to do with Christianity. They have been, they have been removing uh, the permit to receive foreign donation of churches, Christian organizations, even NGOs they suspect to be promoting Christianity. Compassion International was kicked out six years ago. World Vision was removed last month again. Persecution is going rampant while the police are cooperating with the persecutors. Christians are attacked, beaten up. Churches and schools were vandalized often, etc. And then I love how he closes. He says, God is in control. He knows what is going on in India. He is answering our prayer. He has been doing the best for Indian Christians and churches. This is our civil government right now impacting our faith. He is Lord of Lords, Ken. Hmm. One of my favorite classes in seminary was church history. And it's fascinating when you look through church history, when persecution increases, guess what happens to the church? It grows like wildfire. And so India is experiencing that. Persecution is increasing. Brazil is experiencing that in a less light, but still. Uh, as is Ireland, and some would say maybe even in our own country. So I thought that would be helpful as we think about uh, our civil government and what's going on in some other countries, um, and for us to pray accordingly for our brothers and sisters around the globe. So as we look at our text this morning in 1 Timothy, 
it's clear we're called to pray for those in authority, but what are we to pray? Remember, we talked about a specific prayer, a specific group of people we're praying for. And so what is that? So I wanted to look at the verses that follow verse 2. And so let's pick up in verse 4. Talking about God who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony born at the proper time. I love verse 4. I think it really gives us a glimpse into the heart of our Father, into the heart of the God that we serve. He desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. I don't think it's by accident that verse 4 follows, you know, the previous section in verse 2, talking about our authorities. I think we are to pray evangelistic prayers for those in authority over us. I think we're to pray that they would come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. Once again, I have failed at this uh, in many ways, and I've been very challenged by the scripture to, uh, to figure out what does it mean to pray this prayer for those in civil government specifically who have authority over me. And so a specific prayer for them to come to the knowledge of the truth. And what is the knowledge of the truth? It's a fair question. Paul explains that to us. He says, for there is one God. So that's theism, the belief that there's one God. Uh, Christianity is one of three major religions that believes that there's one God. Also, Islam believes there's one God. So does Judaism. And so we don't stop there. You know, God is a very popular, you know, you can say God and not too many people are offended. But then it goes one step further, significant step, one mediator. There's one God and one mediator also between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. So this is where we get to the exclusivity of Jesus, which is what David Martin mentioned in his. The exclusivity of Christ is being challenged in Ireland and in our culture too, in America, uh, a lot of people want to believe that all roads lead to the same God. It sounds really nice. The only problem is it's not true. <laughs> all religions believe different things about where we came from. What's the meaning of life? What's my purpose here? What happens when I die? What is my identity? And so all these religions have so many different beliefs about life's most important questions. And so I love how clear the Bible is that there's one mediator between God and mankind, and that's Jesus Christ. Uh, there's one... Uh, Christian apologist who spent his life defending the Christian faith, and he had an interesting quote. He said, if God made a hundred ways to get to him, we as humanity would want a hundred and one, because there's something in our hearts that rebels against the authority of God and his word, and that's part of our sin nature, and yet the Bible's so clear there is one mediator, and that's Jesus, and that's great news. Um, so this mediator, Jesus Christ, he is the one who offers us the salvation. He is the one that we are to pray for our authorities that they will come to know. So as we think about salvation, this mediator, we think about the, the bad news and the good news. You know, we've talked about this sin nature, this problem that we have deep down that we can't solve on our own, that wants to rebel against the ultimate authority, God himself. And we're all in the same boat. We all have that problem and we can't solve it on our own. That's why we need this mediator, one who will take our place. He's, he's described also as a ransom. A ransom is a price paid for somebody else, and that's exactly what Jesus did. 
He paid the price that we couldn't pay, and he purchased salvation for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. How amazing is that? That's the gospel. So I want to challenge you to think about the gospel, to think about your own heart, to think about the good news of Jesus. Uh, If you've never transferred your trust from yourself to Jesus, I challenge you to think about doing that today. Um, He is there and willing to accept you into his family, and uh, the gospel is the, the only message we have. So I encourage you to talk to someone who invited you. Come talk to me afterwards. Uh, we have great news. We have a mediator. We have a ransom for our sin. Praise God for that. So a specific prayer for the salvation of whom a specific group of people are authorities with a specific heart attitude. So what is that heart attitude? I think we get a glimpse of what that's supposed to be in verses 1 through 8, or verses 1 and 8. So verse 1, actually the second part of verse 2, we pray for those in authority in order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. That sounds nice, right? Wow. Tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Hmm. So there's a certain lifestyle, a certain heart attitude that we are to have as we think about our governing authorities, as we think about what we pray for them. And the contrast to the second part of verse 2, I think we find at the end of verse 8, we're to pray without wrath and dissension. So I think there's a connection between what's happening in the second part of verse 2 and the last part of verse 8. This heart attitude that we're not angry and not trying to cause strife, and that there's something that marks us as Christians as it relates to our submission to governing authorities, submission to our civil government, that is full of dignity and godliness. Uh, once again, I failed at this. Um, I think Christians, we, we, we miss the mark on this. I think we need to seek God's face. And what I'm convinced of is that if we're praying for those in authority, then that removes a lot of the wrath and animosity and dissension that we might naturally have towards those we disagree with who are in authority over us. So I want you to think about that, what God's word says. How do we live in light of this truth? What is our heart attitude supposed to be? And so I began to think, okay, who benefits if we pray, if we honor God's word and do what he says to do? Who benefits when we pray for those in authority? First off, we benefit. Let me tell you what's happened to me. Um, I can't get up here and tell you guys and challenge you to do something without doing it myself. So Dave asked me a while ago to preach today, and I saw the text, and I've been thinking about it. I'm like, man, I should probably practice this and do it. And I'll tell you what, every day this week, I have prayed through a list of those in the civil government, locally, throughout our state, and throughout our country. And the Holy Spirit has begun to change my heart that these are real people with real families who have real issues and who need Jesus (laughs) uh, as their savior. And so we benefit. Our hearts are changed as we obey God's word and pray for those authorities. So uh, I challenge you to to begin to see that in your own life as well. Uh, Do you think these governing authorities, do you think they benefit from Christians praying for them? I do. I believe prayer works, and I believe God changes hearts. And these authorities, their hearts can be changed, and they can turn to Jesus Christ. So I think others are blessed, and as these governing authorities come to faith in Christ, their families are impacted, the communities are impacted, our country's impacted, the world 
And so we benefit, others benefit, and of course God gets glory as we live uh, in honor to his word, and he gets glory to see his people and see people change. So there's wins. Uh, Everybody wins when we pray for those in authority over us. So I began to think, okay, well, who are the governing authorities? I, I was guilty of not knowing most of these people. I don't think about a lot of these people in different positions. So I tapped my wife on the shoulder and I said, hey, can you find out who these people are? And she did. Here's a website. Um, you can jot it down. You can go there on your phone right now. Uh, vote sjc.gov backslash current elected officials. And there's a clear uh, list of who these people are and what position they're in. And so I thought, huh, what would it look like for us to take an action step to pray for, our, for those in authority over us? What if we did that as a group this morning and applied uh, the point? I thought, wow, that'd be awesome. So I made some copies of this. Uh, there's going to be some ushers as you leave today who can hand you this. I also made PowerPoint slides. So what we're going to do together right now is I'm going to pray through this list. I'm going to mention their position and name, and then I'm going to do kind of a general prayer um, for all of them uh, at the end. So we're going to do this together. Y'all in? Okay, awesome. You can. F- so once again, they're on a slide, and so he's going to, as I'm praying through this list, uh, Jimmy's going to uh, go th- from slide to slide. So let's pray together. Father, we do want to live uh, in honor t- of your word and obey you, and we know you hear us. And we have failed in many ways to do what you've told us to do. But this morning, we seek to honor you through praying for uh, those in civil government. So we pray for constitutional officers, our clerk of court and comptroller, Brandon Patty. Pray for our sheriff, Robert Hardwick, property appraiser, Eddie Creamer, tax collector, Dennis Hollingsworth, supervisor of elections, Vicki Oaks. We pray for our county court judges, Alexander Christine, Casey Woolsey, and Lauren Blocker. For our county commissioners, Christian Whitehurst, Sarah Arnold, Roy Alamo, Krista Joseph, and Henry Dean. For St. John's County school board members, Beverly Slow, Anthony Coleman, Jennifer Collins, Kelly Barrera, and Patrick Kanan. For our state authorities, our governor, Ron DeSantis, Lieutenant Governor Jeanette Nunez, Attorney General Ashley Moody, Commissioner of Agriculture Wilton Simpson, Chief Financial Officer Jimmy Petronas, Secretary of State Cord Bird, Commissioner of Education Manny Diaz, State Senate Travis Hudson, State House Cindy Stevenson, Paul Renner, and Bobby Payne, State Attorney R.J. Larizza, Public Defender Matt Metz, our Circuit Court Judges Joanne Anthony, Christopher Faribi, Kenneth Janisk, Howard Maltz, and Lee Smith. We pray for our national leaders, for our president, Joe Biden, for our vice president, Kamala Harris, for our senators, Marco Rubio and Rick Scott, and our Congress representatives, John Rutherford and Michael Waltz. Father, we do pray for each of these, uh, for these men and women. I pray for their salvations. I pray for their spouses, their children, their grandchildren. I pray that they would uh, lead with wisdom. And Lord, we know you change hearts, 
and you have placed these people in positions of authority, and we pray for them today as the body of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.